A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. England defence in the mess, John Oliver's going for the high ball, trying to knock it down for help, Dara! Goal! And they've scored! <laughs> Roy Houghton! We're a small country and listen, we're up against it, but let's not just go along for the sing song every now and again. Alright, let's be honest, it is nice to be at the Euros. The team is right in the thick of it now, conjuring up a plan to nullify Belgium after a solid start against Sweden. Our supporters, Murph, proving they're the best fans in the world once again by serenading a slightly freaked out nun with a rendition of Our Father on a train. Again, that kind of stuff. That's fine, that's not. That's totally normal in, uh, behaviour. There's no doubt it is great to actually be there, but wasn't it sometimes nice not to be there I don't mean those times when we limped through the qualifying group oh yeah Murph finishing fourth no drama nobody enjoyed that I'm talking about those visceral emotions we all felt on the occasions we were cruelly denied qualification by refereeing shenanigans I know straight away you're thinking about 2009 Murph that's what most people of our generation do I mean can any amount of joyous celebration truly match the sense of release we all got when we let all of our negative emotion go over that one incident. Anything that had built up inside us for our entire lives, we could go, yeah, sense of injustice. Yeah, remember when we That's better than being at the thing. Yeah, when we qualified for Euro 2012, there was lots of people saying, God, that's great, we're going to the Euros. And then there was, but there were other constituencies, many of them saying, we've no right to be there. We're going to make an embarrassment of ourselves. What are we doing? You know, the the idea that you could be unified, that the entire country could be unified behind one idea. Is you know that you're living in cloud cooking land until someone denies you qualification by devious or foul means. Then and only then will be united as a nation. Boy, did that ha- happen a little bit before our time. Where World Cup qualifying 1982, Owen Hans Ireland win touching distance of the tournament. They travel to Brussels, outplay a strong Belgian side, only to be hit by one, not one but two egregious refereeing decisions, a dodgy free given near the end that Belgium ultimately scored from, but more controversially still was an early, and first half incident when the great Frank Stapleton knocked one into the back of the Belgian net, but the referee saw a phantom offside and decided that uh, the goal would not stand. There were, there were, well, okay, he was called a thief, he was called a cheat, and many other words at that time and in the years on since. The, on the pitch. Yeah, Liam Brady in tears. Apparently, I can't imagine Liam Brady as a man who cried that often playing football. I don't know. It doesn't strike me as, as someone who would give vent to his emotions like that. But apparently that was the case. And back then, of course, we didn't have a, a, a sort of enterprising FAI chief exec who could solve the wound by hitting the FA, FA, uh, FIFA up, I should say, for mm. a few million quid. So it took more than 20 years to get our revenge. 
but we got it. Thanks to today's guest, Paul Howard, who you'll know is one of the country's top writers and the creator of Ross O'Carroll Kelly. Uh, back then, Howard travelled to Lisbon as a sports writer for the Sunday Tribune to track down the ref, Raul Nazare, and confront him with some extremely awkward questions from that night in 1981. Paul Howard, I'm really looking forward to this piece. Well, sorry, the piece was written by Paul Howard in the build-up to the 2002 World Cup. And so, the piece uh, is brilliant. That, yeah, that, the, uh, the that's chat. long gone. You're the the chat, the chat about the yeah. piece with Paul Howard on today's Irish Times Second Captain's Euros podcast. Uh, the tournament is hotting up nicely. France relying on late goals. And England what? Yesterday it, was good. Yesterday, yesterday was good. good. We'll talk about yesterday. But I'm already so excited about today, Murph. This is how quickly this tournament progresses mm. at this oh, we're, stage. We're, we're in the middle of it now, on, aren't we? We really are. We're, we're getting to the, the, the meat of the matter now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you've got England, Wales, Ukraine, Northern Ireland, and Germany, Poland. And it seems that Wayne Rooney, he was addressing the media yesterday, has only one man, on his, one man I should say, in his mind. Uh, <laughs> well, not the man you might think. Uh, so he's. Um, uh, I'm reading this from the the Mirror.co.uk. The only improvement needed from Saturday's one-one draw is being more clinical in front of goal. Ad skipper before Thursday's derby with the noisy neighbours. <laughs> uh, Wayne Rooney's been getting verbals from Wales all week, but insists his England side will shut them up on the pitch. So uh, unbelievably not rabble rousing quotes from uh, Wayne Rooney, and then it it goes on. Uh, the piece goes on to tell us about the only sledging that Wayne Rooney has ever been uh, on the receiving end of yeah. in his long Premier League career. In all the games I've played over the years in the Premier League, there's not been much. Probably C- Craig Bellamy the only one. John Walters a bit. They're the only two who try to speak to players and try to intimidate players. John, what's he got? What's his beef for John Walters? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Like it, This is a tough time for Johnny Walters. I mean, I don't know why he's been dragged into this. Uh, the the Battle of Britain, mm. you know that 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 is not Johnny Walters' fight. Uh, Johnny Walters has a fight against his Achilles tendon. Uh, nothing to do with uh, with England. I'm a little wins. bit surprised. I'm not surprised at all that John Walters is one of only two players who've ever sledged Wayne Rooney. Sorry, yes, I am. I I am surprised that it's only two players ever. I'm not surprised that Johnny Walters is up there with Craig sledged. Bellamy in the sledging stakes. John Walters, he's such a nice a, guy. He does a lot of talking on the pitch, though. Like he does a lot of. Laughing at people, you know, sort of sardonically laughing at people uh, at corners, for instance. He so does, the, the Cristiano Ronaldo sort of laughter, actually. Well, uh, no, it's not. It's not that. There's no arrogance in it. It's more kind of annoying if you're on the opposing end of it. You know, a referee comes over. Johnny Walters is like pissing himself laughing at someone having the temerity to, you know, get him in a headlock or something. Yeah, he does do a fair bit of that. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm. It is. It is surprising that there have only been two. I mean, Wayne Rooney. I mean, there's not a lot to lose and probably a lot to gain, certainly over the course of his 12-year Premier League career in trying to get under Wayne Rooney's skin, I would have thought. Ken's in Paris. Congratulations. Take the applause of that crowd. Ken, what do you think? A slightly selective memory from Wayne Rooney? Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm actually not surprised at all that John Walters sticks in Wayne Rooney's memory, along with Craig Bellamy, who <laughs> is probably the most notorious um, on-field, uh, let's say, talker uh, well, of listen, his generation. We we know what Craig Bellamy's like. Everyone in football knows what Craig Bellamy's like. Yeah, you can leave exactly, that yeah. there. 
you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. I don't. I, I haven't heard anyone actually complain about that before. But you can you can see him doing it on doing it a lot on field. All right. Um, I've never heard anyone. I've never heard an opposing player refer to it before. Well, particularly in such a random circumstance, you can kind of, <laughs> yeah. you can kind of see maybe maybe he wants to mention a Welsh player there, so he throws it, he'll throw in Bellamy. But Walters just comes out of nowhere. It is totally random. Although I suppose they're they're both sort of from Liverpool, aren't they? Um, Wayne Rooney and John Walters. Oh, the scouse weird is what you're saying. Oh, well, hang on, um, Craig yeah, Bellamy's not a scouse. Yeah. Well, maybe that's one way of of describing it. Mm. Uh, what I was interestingly. Gareth Bale didn't come up there. I thought he might, given all the sledging Bale has been doing through the media this week. Ken uh, Duffer yesterday uh, on TV was saying, I was quite surprised about this, Duffer thinks Wales are essentially digging a bit of a hole for themselves here by this approach that they've taken to needling England and to talking about how great they are and how no English players would get in their team. I think it's been great, as we discussed a little bit on yesterday's podcast, but I was struck by... Duff making the point that they would really kind of want to watch that. I suppose he's played all his football in England. Maybe he 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 would see that this is the kind of thing that can backfire, that can get the England players going. Well, of course. I mean, if Wales do this to England, you can imagine um, a lot of sarcasm um, coming out of all this stuff that Bale has been saying in terms of, oh, you know, you said we wouldn't get a new team. You don't think he would get a new team. Well, what about the moment when Hal Robson kind of missed a really simple chance and then, you know, Wayne Rooney ran up the other end and scored. You don't think Wayne Rooney would, you know, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, I, I don't really think that Garrett Bale, when he said that, was, was I mean, I'd say if, 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 if he sat Garrett Bale down and told him he had to pick a team to play for his life between the England and uh, Welsh squads... He'd probably pick one or two of the English players, you know. Or yeah, six I'd say, or seven. I'd say he'd probably use one or two of them. Yeah, but he was um, la- he was even laughing when he said it. I exactly. Think this has been I mean, what's along, the thing is that what's he supposed to say? Um, like well, actually go through the team. <laughs> we'll start in Joe goals, Hart, Joe Hart. Hart. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, Joe. I mean, to be yeah. honest, Hennessy's not up for much, and that's for Ward. I mean, he, the, the lad, you know, he, you know, he's he's maybe got a good future in the game, but at the moment, you just wouldn't have him. So, so I'd say I definitely say Hart. Uh, then you know, I mean. Ben Davis can't even get in the Tottenham team ahead of uh, Danny Rose. So I suppose Danny Rose, you know, he's he's had to get a goal. Pochettino's a pretty good one. manager, so I mean, you know, you got to go with the club manager there. I suppose he's seen them. He's seen both those players. Yeah, yeah I mean, and then of course ridiculous. I'd get in, yeah. and then um, you know that's the kind of thing that, that Cristiano Ronaldo might do. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. But I think Gareth Bale took the right uh, took the right approach to it. Uh, I, I don't know how serious he was being. Obviously, it's going to be it's going to be uh, used against them if they lose. Well, you know, for, they have to lose first. Yeah. And yeah, well, what what have we seen so far in this group? Wales beat Slovakia, who then um, slaughtered Russia, who England couldn't beat. So, you know, England are now going to go out expecting, I mean, obviously heavily favoured uh, with the bookies. Wales are 6-1 to one to beat England. But Wales have got, have got Gareth Bale. England don't have anyone who could touch him. You know, how are England going to stop him? This is going to be interesting. I mean, Wales' attack is so it's so much more kind of dynamic than Russia's. What did Russia have? Just this big beanpole, Artem Zuba. They were just booting the ball up at him from 50 yards away. You know, three English guys defending that one Russian guy. Simple. You know, it was it was it was so easy for England for that for most of that game. This is going to be. You know, we don't know who's going to start yet with Bale. It could be Robson Canu running around like a maniac. And then Bale uh, charging from deep. 
that's a much more difficult situation to uh, to deal with. And that's before you get into the kind of emotional side of the game. I mean, what what Bale has been talking about, the pride of Wales, the fact that the, the Welsh players, as long as they can see the pitch through their tears, are all going to be playing the game <laughs> of their lives. Whereas England are just experiencing a feeling of mild embarrassment and, you know, uh, mild desperation uh, to get out of the groups, you know, to get out of this group stage. On the other hand, if they don't get out of the group, then, you know, they get to go on holidays. So, is it really that bad? Yeah, there's literally no downside from the Welsh point of view here. Like, there's no downside. I mean, we all know how well England react to loads and loads of pressure at major tournaments. I mean, mm. if you could do anything to add to the pressure, and this has definitely added to the pressure on the England team. Like, the, the, the fact that they've had to be answering these questions for two days. From a guy... Like as long as people are talking about Gareth Bale, it's in their heads that wow, Gareth Bale really is a lot better than any of the English players here. Yeah. Just just constantly being reminded of the fact that Gareth Bale plays for Real Madrid and is one of the five best players in the world. Uh, you know, this is it's per- and if Wales lose, all they've done is what you know has happened over the course over the history, the football history of both of the countries. Yeah. a thousand times before. So I mean, yeah. pile it on. Like the more and like you know for a fact that England react badly. So why not just keep saying it? There's no credit for yeah, there's, there's yeah, no exactly, credit yeah. in this game for England. Yeah, congratulations, you, know, you beat Wales, which is like a county in your country. So well yeah. done. You know, like that's basically what 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 this uh, what will be said afterwards. Yeah. So you know, for that, I mean, I, I just think that um, uh, it's it's one of the, it's it's one of those typical games that you know it's you know a big team is playing a smaller team and are expected to win, but know that they might not, and they know that they're expected to win more than really the odds are in, in their favour. Uh, because this is a kind of a little team with some big teeth. And uh, even if they do win, no one's going to say, whoa, well done, England, great. I'm sure, you know, it's it's obviously better to win than to lose. But it's what they're expected to do. Whereas if they lose, you know, they won't, they'll be hearing about this for a long, Maggie long Patrick. time. <laughs> yeah, it might be that. Might be some sort of commentary along those lines, all right. And it turns out, Ken, as you mentioned, that Russia aren't very good based on mm. them losing. To... We've seen a lot of Slovakia. We Irish fans probably know more about Slovakia than uh, a lot, than a lot of European football fans do. I feel and... like Marek Habzik is is a man who yeah. features more in my mind than he probably should. And he's good. He's a very good player. And his goal player. was was superb. And Vice is this guy who had a lot of talent and was expected to do bigger. Former things. Man City, him and, exactly. him and Stephen Ireland, the, yeah. the Man City crew. But we beat them all the time. We constantly beat Slovakia. Okay, always well, always narrowly, and sometimes uh, and sometimes with the help me. of a refereeing decision or two. But I mean, competitively, we always beat them, and yet they did go we, and beat did Russia. We beat them always. I mean, yeah, I remember. No, well, we drew, we, 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 I think then we draw with them that fight. We beat friend, them when Kevin Doyle, Kevin yeah. Doyle scored a, a header at Crow Park. We no. drew two all away. That was Stephen Ireland's last game, actually, wasn't it? Um, mm. In Slovakia. Um, we were we in a, we were in the we were in the group again with them for under Trapattoni. We've been in at least two groups, possibly three groups. I think we maybe just drew with them. We certainly never lost. I'm going to check up these results, Ken, as you talk. I've got respect for Slovakia. Yeah. Um, Slovakia were five to two to win that game. I have no idea why Russia were favourites to win the game. Russia was so awful, so awful against England that uh, I mean, I remember, remember this is the, this is the, this is the important thing about England. They dominated a game against Russia, but couldn't beat them. And Russia are the worst team in the tournament. Russia are the Ireland of uh, Euro 2016. The Ireland Euro 2012 of Euro 2016 is Russia. Um, uh, meanest fans, uh, largest land area, most pathetic footballers. What are they going to do <laughs> at the 2018 World Cup? I don't know. Um, but 
Slovakia, I, I thought were going to win that game, and so they did. And actually, it was closer than uh, Once again, the Russians coming on really strong uh, towards the end of the game as their opponent tires. They just seemed to tire at a slower rate. It's amazing. Uh, but uh, still weren't quite good enough to, uh, to force an equaliser, uh, even as Slovakia were panicking a little bit, understandably, um, with the pressure on. They, they needed to win that game or they were, they were going to be in some serious trouble. But yeah, they, uh, they did well. I mean, they were up against the poor side. I think, you know, I hope Wales weren't watching too closely because, you know, I'm looking forward to this Wales-England game. I think it's going to be such an amazing occasion. Um, obviously, even if Wales lose, they still have a great chance uh, because they're playing Russia in the last game and Russia looked like the kind of team they should be able to wipe out fairly easily. Always beat Slovakia, Ken, was the phrase I used. Well, that's the phrase you thought I used. You must have misheard. There's just obviously a dodgy Skype connection or something. What I yeah. said was, we never we never get beaten by Slovakia. We usually uh, we usually draw. We Slovakia. usually draw with Slovakia, yeah. St- stop misquoting all. Yeah, stop Ken. misquoting me here, Ken. Uh, 1-0. That victory, of course, against Slovakia under Stoughton. Yeah, then two all away from home in that qualifier. Creditable. Stephen result. Ireland and Kevin Doyle. Kevin Doyle with a rocket, a screamer. Yeah. Kevin Doyle's got a big reputation in Slovakia, by the way. <laughs> People in Slovakia, the, that, the feared blonde, the blonde beast of Dublin. In the Euro 2012 qualifiers, we drew one all away and we drew nil all at home. And of course, yeah. the most recent friendly, we was not a draw. It was, yeah. So we draw most of our matches against Slovakia. It was the booze train. Remember the booze train? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. John Delaney's booze train to um, God. Where was the uh, Where was the game on? It was It was not in uh, Bratislava. No, the yeah. train was going from, from Bratislava, Bratislava to wherever. Undisclosed Slovakian yeah. uh, location. Let's not. We don't need to linger on it. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a very nice up there. I'm just trying to remember the name. I can't believe I can't remember the name of the, the town. It's a really nice part of the world, by the way. If you ever If you ever want to go hiking or something like that, you know, you fancy a little bit of. Uh, Rolling autumnal forested hills. Ken, we're trying to hang on to the you know eighty to twenty five demographic here. Ken, please less of the hiking talk. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, you know, I mean, once you finish your leaving cert, maybe you'd like <laughs> it. you hike, you know. France last night against Slovakia. Well, two great goals actually yeah, by both Vice and Hamzik. Uh, of course, a, a team that we've always struggled to beat, Slovakia. So it's no surprise to me that they <laughs> would be so obdurate opponents for <laughs> Russia. France, though, were, they're showing that sort of form on the biggest stage. Yeah, exactly. France were probably the biggest. Well, they're going to be the biggest story until such a time as they get knocked out, which might be reasonably early in this tournament if last night's performance is anything to go by. France. Yeah. Yeah. Took them till the eighty whatever minutes to minutes to score uh, yeah. one goal against Albania. Yeah, well, they, they they got there in the end. I mean, they do they do lack a bit of um, they do lack a bit of coherence, don't they? they? There's there's a sort of there's lots of good players, but they don't really fit together all that well. Um, there's not there's no real there's no kind of Xavi sticking this whole team together. You know what I mean? Um, Obviously, Didier Deschamps made a couple of big calls uh, before that game. He left out Pogba and Griezmann. I was really surprised, actually. I mean, the, the keep had, had uh, you know a big feature on the crisis of Griezmann. Um, I was thinking this, this, this guy's in crisis. Like, I mean, it seems to be pretty good to me, you know. But they, you know, they were disappointed with his performance in the first game. Okay, he didn't really play particularly well. But you know, I mean, this guy's been playing fantastic football for Atletico Madrid. Um, I don't I don't think he's suddenly kind of turning into a poor player overnight. But you know, Deschamps obviously thinks, well look, this is it, you know, I need I need these guys to be performing at the um 
performing at the max. You know, where, where this is the tournament now. It's not like we really have a big lead into it. This is it. You have to do it now or or you're out. Uh, so we dropped Pogba and Griezmann um, based on their, you know, indifferent performances in the first game. Ends up having to put Pogba back on at half time. I mean, I wonder, you know, what they're all thinking of this. I mean, Pogba obviously to be dropped will not have liked that. Martial to be substituted at half time will possibly have liked that even less. So he's lucky. Uh, uh, Didier he is lucky that um, they managed to win that game at the end. And 2-0 obviously was, um, you know, a bit a bigger scoreline than they, they probably deserved to win the game by. I mean, Albania were very close. Albania hit the post. Um, and, you know, 2-0 is, is really, really harsh on them. But the fact is, France got there in the end. And a win like that, I think, is surely going to help them... Um, feel a little bit better about themselves they're probably they're almost certainly going to top the group now uh which you know should mean they've got a decent enough second round tie as well uh and maybe Griezmann with that goal is 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 showing that he's playing his way back to form and you know Pogba I guess they need a bit more from him but if they do get a bit more then they're going to be a tough team to sell yeah I read somewhere that uh someone making the point that right okay uh in one respect maybe Deschamps doesn't know his best team but in another respect what he has is loads and loads of attacking options, and the two that he leaves off come on after, well, 45 minutes in uh, Pogba's case yesterday, but they come on for the final third or the final quarter, and basically defences can't handle being asked one question for 65 minutes and then have another question being posed to them as they begin to get tired. I mean, I suppose it's, it's nearly like a rugby, you know, change the entire front row with 20 minutes to go and see if your second best front row can handle it. But, I mean, yeah. the fact that they have that amount of options means that they can't actually play at 100 miles an hour for, for 90 minutes. Yeah, they can. I mean, it's, it's, this is what it feels like to have um, to have more than, you know... The bare 11 players in your exactly. squad. That, <laughs> you know, that's the, that we don't... It's, it's kind of a little bit easier for our uh, manager, in a sense, because um, once the players are fit, he knows which players are going to play. Um Whereas with Didier Deschamps, he's got to make all kinds of decisions. Yeah, and maybe you just embrace that. Maybe instead of saying, right, I've got, like, my here's my 11, actually just say, right, well, however I, I feel like the, the players look to me this morning, I'm going to start to and, and leave off to. Let's up the scumbag level here, Si. I've got a call here that says, you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh, God. That's just it. I just Whoa. mentioned, not you, not me. Okay, ain't nobody fucking with my click. Click, 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 click. Ain't nobody fresher than my We don't normally click, broadcast all click, the, the stuff that click, comes from scum click, around the country. Click. This week's scumbag. Euro 2016 scumbag. Oh, a very special type of scumbag then. Paul McElwain from Dublin. Hi, lads. Long time listener, first time mailer. Love the show. Makes the commute a pleasure, not a chore. However, I must take a little umbrage with Ken's review in inverted commas, of the new Nike ad starring Ronaldo. He rather harshly criticises the ad for plot holes, yet cites the movie Big as the example that compares to the ad. Anyone who knows the genre of body swap movies, everyone put up your hand, uh, would easily highlight that. Uh, In Big, the boy becomes his older self while retaining his childlike mind, whereas in, for example, 17 again, or 18 again, Freaky Friday, the 1976, 1995, or 2003 editions, vice versa, or the hugely entertaining The Change-Up, there are two people involved in the plotline, and as such, are better examples to the reference given. I just feel if Ken's going to go all Barry Norman, he should at least avoid narrative errors himself. Enjoy the Euros, Koi Paul McElwain. 
Ken, um, your right of well, response. No. Well, two movies have similarities to each other. Shock. Maybe uh, Alan McIlwain should write a book about that. I've noticed watching movies that sometimes movies tend to repeat certain, you know, different movies tend to repeat certain ideas. No, but it, yeah. this is unbecoming, but Ken. This Ken, is unbecoming. The man's, Come on now. the man's point is that the example you cited to compare, you were comparing it to the Ronaldo. Uh, using big. the movie to go, yes. So big is not actually a body swap movie. It's the same. It's the boy becomes himself in the few, the adult version of himself. Why am I explaining this in such detailed terms? Whereas what happened in Switch is Ronaldo becomes a different person. Him and and the boy swap bodies. Um, <laughs> no, that is what happens in Big. Obviously, you don't remember it. Uh, there's the there's the there's the kid and his is it his dad? No, no. He actually just wakes up. He actually just wakes up bigger. There is no Tom Hanks character who's like a hard-nosed businessman who then swaps into the... The boy is the boy disappears. You know, the mother is really sanguine about it. If you remember Big, it's like, my kid's missing. Ah, he'll, I'm sure he'll show up eventually. Oh, he's working in the city, but he's grown up. Uh, you know, he's, he's uh, 12 years older than he should be. Ah, it's fine. He'll, he'll come back. All right, we've got a bit of history with our next Euro 2016 opponents, Belgium. Mick McCarthy's attempts to lead us to the 98 World Cup were undone. Oh, hang on a second. Hang on a, hang on a bloody second there. Yeah. I've, told, I've got completely confused. Go on. Um, that's not big isn't the movie I was thinking of <laughs> were you thinking of the Jennifer Garner movie I think she has one as well oh, sure there, was the, there was a, there's a movie where a guy becomes or the like the, the son and dad sort of swap over uh, are you thinking of Zac Efron and uh, Matthew Perry uh, I think that maybe it's, it's from it's from sort of you're not thinking of Face Off now with Nicolas Cage no, and John Travolta. John Travolta. No, no, no. That's a totally it's different from, story. It's, now. From, it's from the it's from that kind of area that that era rather 80, 88, 89 sort of time frame. But like, uh, there's a twister scene in it. I think basically the 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 older the the kid sort of becomes this stockbroker. Is that maybe that is big? Vice maybe versa. Simon says it might be called Vice Versa. That's the one. Well done, Simon. Good That's save. The one. Vice Versa. Who was in that? Uh, I, th- I think you should probably apologise to Paul McElwain. Yeah, Paul. I mean, I think, I, Paul. Judge Reinhold and Fred Savage. Oh Vice my God! They're literally the most eighties cast of all time. Judge yeah, Reinhold, is, uh, amazing. Vice versa, yeah. nineteen eighty-eight. Yeah. Five point seven out of ten IMDb rating. Yeah. That's <laughs> During good, an argument, solid. a divorced executive and his eleven-year-old son casually touch a magical Tibetan skull. You know how they hang around the house. power that transfers the father's mind to the body of the son, and vice versa. Their problems have just begun. So uh, yeah, that's the movie. I can't believe I thought that was big. I'm sorry, McWayne. I'm sorry to all the listeners who I, who I misled, and I'll try to do better. Any other suggestions of identity swapping movies? Do email secondcaptainsatirishtimes.com. But we're keeping it 80s now because we've got a bit of history with our next Euro 2016 opponents, Belgium. Okay, later in life, Mick McCarthy's attempts to lead us to the 98 World Cup are undone by Luis Oliveira and Luke Nillis goals in the rain in Brussels. But that night, it failed to produce that sense of injustice I was talking about earlier on. That sort of injustice we love to cling to when we're denied a place at a major tournament. For that, we go back 35 years to a key game in qualification for the 1982 World Cup, a night that was vividly brought to life in a Sunday Tribune piece in the lead-up to the 2002 World Cup by Paul Howard. Paul, great to have you in, first of all. Thanks for making the time. Very good, thanks. Well, we might just talk talk about that night, first of all, that qualifying defeat, because the series of qualification tournaments up to Euro 88... Some, some we missed out by a good bit. Quite a few hard luck stories along the way. And this was probably the biggest hard luck story of all. I think this particular um, hard luck story was a bigger travesty than what happened with Thierry Henry 
really? in 2010. Yeah, because, I mean, firstly, the team that Ireland had at the time, you know, they had, they had such a brilliant team. And it is a great shame that they never got to play in a World Cup, you know, like Liam Brady, Frank Stapleton, Steve Highway, uh, uh, Jerry Daly, Davy Langan. I mean, they were a brilliant, Chris Hewton. Um, and I think the other thing was that the decisions that went against us, particular in the, particularly in this match against Belgium, uh, were so blatantly wrong-headed that you couldn't kind of a rational man couldn't look at them and say anything other than there was some kind of uh, conspiracy against Ireland or that somebody somewhere was contriving results in a certain way to keep Ireland out of the World Cup and. Belgium and France in. The incidents in question in this were a disallowed goal for Frank Stapleton early on and then yeah. a free, a soft free awarded to the Belgians later on. In which yeah, I mean, that scored. was it. I mean, there was, so, I mean, I remember this really clearly uh, from the time I was a kid because I suppose it was one of the first Ireland matches I was conscious of um, and I remember very well watching it and even at, even at sort of 10 years of age seeing or 9 years of age seeing that this, there was something <laughs> seriously wrong right. yeah. of it all yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah Frank Stableton scored a goal about 3 minutes before half time and I spoke to him about it actually and he said it was a it was an Arsenal move um, uh, and Liam Brady had left Arsenal a couple of years at that stage or maybe a year and a half and uh, but they remembered this move and he said we, we didn't even need to talk to each other uh, Liam Brady looked one way it was a free kick on the edge of the box, chipped it into the box. I ran to the front post. I knew exactly where to be and side-footed it into the goal. And it was a perfectly legitimate goal. Um, he wasn't offside. There was at least sort of three players between him and the, him and the goal line. Um, nothing wrong with it. Nobody was impeded or anything. Uh, and it was disallowed for, for reasons that were, that were never uh, apparent or, or never, ever explained. But... Um, the Irish players and and Owen Hand, the Irish manager, were were absolutely certain that they'd been that they'd been robbed. In fact, Owen Hand went to the manager and said, "You've been paid," or went to the referee and said, "You've been paid off." Well, most supporters, I suppose, spend their lives giving out about a referee in that situation. You, when you grew up and became a sports writer, were in a position to go and talk to the man himself. How did this idea <laughs> come about to go over and chat to Raul Nazare, is the name of the Portuguese yeah. ref? And it's funny, I remembered his name. Like, you know, he must have been a hate figure in my head or something <laughs> for all of those years. But because that, I think it was because those players were so good, you know, because that team was so good that they never, and they never saw a World Cup. So, uh, yeah, I decided to go and um, and track him down. And uh, I, I, I approached him. I went to the Portuguese Football Association first and asked for a contact in the Referees Association. And they gave me that. And anyway, I was given a phone number for Raul Nazari. And I phoned him up. And I thought, I thought he might say no. You know, I really did. But... Uh, like a, like a lot of referees, he had a kind of certain vanity about him. I think he kind of liked the idea that he was going to sit down with a journalist all these years later and talk about this match. Um, so I went to Portugal to meet him, and the night the night before I went, um, I called to see Owen Hand. Um, Owen Hand was living in Rathmines at the time, and I knocked on his door and I said. Uh, I'm going. <laughs> I'm going to Portugal tomorrow to see Raul Nazari, and he said, "Well, you better come in." You know, so we, we went, I went in, and uh, he said to me, um, "You know, you're going to show him the match." And I said, "Well, I don't have, um, I don't have a tape of it." He said, "I'll give you the tape," and he had the tape. It was uh, this really impressed me. He had the tape underneath the television. It was on his TV stand, <laughs> uh, you know, front and center. Twenty one years later, and I, I got the impression that he might have watched it a few it times since yeah, then. Yeah. You know. Um, 
so he gave me the tape. Actually, we put it on. We put it on in, in Owen's sitting room and watched it. So the, the I, I kind of knew these two incidents inside out, these two incidents on which this match hinged. I knew them inside out when I went to Portugal. So I took the tape away and flew to Portugal the next day. Yeah, because that's the interesting thing to me because so many people, I think, in a situation like this would say, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear the perspective of the other person here. Uh, but there's maybe not many people that would go a, take it a step further and say, let's, let's watch the game again and let's yeah. actually dissect it second by second, millisecond as it turns out, millisecond by millisecond to find out the truth. And I was, I was, that's, that's interesting to me that it wasn't like it, you, you had in your head that you were going to call over to one hand and get his side yeah. of the story, but it was actually between yourself and Owen that you made the decision to actually bring the videotape over yeah. and escalate <laughs> the whole process. It, it did escalate the situation because um, I met Raul in uh, a restaurant in a suburb of, of Lisbon. It was just south of Lisbon. It was called Barrero. And um, we, we had... Um, we had lunch in this restaurant, uh, this fish restaurant, you know, and I had an interpreter with me. Um, and um, so sort of between the three of us, we were, we were sort of chatting away. And he, he remembered or he said he remembered the match really, really clearly. He said, I have a clear memory of disallowing that Frank Stapleton goal. He said um, he was offside. Um, he said, actually, you know, to speak about it technically, he said there was no goal because the linesman flagged. Um, and I saw the flag go up, and so so I blew the whistle before Frank Stapleton put the ball in the back of the net, and I knew this wasn't true because I'd watched it the night before with Owen Hand, um, but I sort of I, I let him speak, you know, and it was just so full of conviction about this that this was an offside goal. Um, so towards the end of the meal, then I I asked him if he wanted to see um, a video of it, and I kind of thought that's the point at which he might say. Come on uh, now, yeah. Actually, yeah. I have to go. I'm busy <laughs> yeah, yeah. this afternoon. But like I said, he was quite a vain man. Um, so we went back to his apartment, um, which is about a sort of 10 or 15 minute drive away. And he owned the top the top floor of this apartment building um, quite nearby. Um, and his daughter, um, who was called Elsa, and his son-in-law, who was called Antonio, happened to be in the apartment at the time when we showed up with this videotape. Um the timing was great because I was just thinking on the way here today that if we'd waited three years, the chances are he wouldn't have had a video recorder. Yeah. So we might never have we yeah. not, might never have actually watched this thing together. But there were still video recorders at the time. Um, so we put the tape in, and we we pressed play, and I forwarded it to the moment of the of the Frank Stapleton goal, and that's when. Uh, Raul Nazare's <laughs> certainty started to unravel. Yeah, his certainty started to unravel. You know, he started to ask himself uh, questions. It's fascinating the the way as you talk about the unraveling of his certainty because he starts with the position that you said that he didn't even have a goal to disallow. The linesman had flagged it offside, uh, had flagged Stapleton offside. He had blown the whistle before the ball had even gone into the net. Pretty quickly. It even to him it becomes I think apparent that that hadn't happened. Yeah, but there follows a new explanation, I think. Yeah, I mean, you can't deny you can't deny uh, the evidence of your own eyes. Um, but he did for quite for quite right. some time. Um, sorry, if I could just go so go back. I yeah. remember when I I handed him the video cassette. He looked at it and it had Ireland v Belgium, and there was lots of exclamation marks after Ireland v Belgium. <laughs> and he looked at me for an explanation. I said, "It's Owen Hand's copy," and his face <laughs> his face just dropped. <laughs> I think the exclamation marks kind of warned him that something trouble was coming. But when when he watched it. 
um, yeah, his view his view changed. You know, suddenly it wasn't because it was quite clear that the rep. Firstly, the linesman didn't raise his flag. Secondly, he didn't blow the whistle before Frank Stapleton scored. Um, so he had to come up with um, a new explanation, and he had to do it quite quickly. So he claimed then that. Um, he said, I really remember this really, really clearly now. What actually happened was I'd signaled for an indirect free kick and Liam Brady scores straight from the free kick, uh, which again was sort of in defiance of the evidence of your eyes. I mean, what, you know, if you, if you can watch it actually on, on YouTube now and it's quite clear that Frank Stapleton uh, side foots the ball into the goal. And he says he, he tried to claim Frank Stapleton did not get a touch on the ball yeah. uh, before it went into the net, that it somehow span in the turf and changed direction. Um, and Antonio, who was his son-in-law, did the sort of dutiful son-in-law <laughs> thing by backing him up and saying, I can see what my father-in-law is saying here. <laughs> I fully agree. And he said, uh, and, you know, to sort of uh, support his claim, he said, actually, as you know, for a living, I sell uh, 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 replay uh, facilities to television to the technology. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so he yeah. said, I, I know this technology really well. So I can see looking at this. What you can that Frank's, see. Yeah, that Frank Stapleton didn't, didn't touch the ball. And we watched it. We, we watched it dozens of times. And it does get to the point where you watch something so many times on television you just see pixels yeah and yeah. my my and, and you start to doubt yourself even you know uh and, and anything is sort of possible in your head at that point when you've watched this so many times and um, this sounds like the like the warren commission or something you know it's like the the yeah. bullet pauses in midair for a minute for yeah. a second and a half and then makes a 90 degree turn i mean yeah i mean it is it's an extraordinary thing but i mean so what did you settle on in the end this, because there was also a notion then that he had deflected the ball, that the referee himself yeah, had deflected the ball. That's what. That's right. We we went. Actually, his his daughter kept letting him down. Um, Elsa kept letting him down. She kept saying, "No, no, no, no. This is you're wrong, Dad. You know this Frank Stapleton. This Frank Stapleton man clearly kicks the ball into the goal. Um, so Getting kicked under the table by her husband. I would yeah. say at this stage. Yeah. Um, so what we did, I think the husband knew. I think her husband knew that. What I was doing, like I, he knew it was a setup, like you know, and so we went next door to her to her old bedroom. That's what it was. This bedroom was just full of stuffed toys, and there was a smaller TV. We kind of reasoned that the television was too big. We were just seeing pixels, okay. yeah. and if we watched it on a smaller television, a portable, we might be able to see it more clearly. So we put the video on in in her bedroom, and uh, we watched it again. And amazingly, Raúl Nazari changed his mind again. And what he said was, um, what happened with the goal was he was in the wrong position. Um, and, and that was the other thing that was clear. He actually hadn't seen Frank Stapleton kick the ball in the goal. So whatever he thought was wrong with the goal, he hadn't witnessed it. Um, but he was in the wrong position. He should have been at the edge of the box. He went into the box. Um, and he said what happened was the ball hit his back and went into the goal. Again, it was completely contrary to the evidence of our own eyes uh, but he set up this situation I remember this really clearly we, we got, got into this bit of choreography where I think he was playing Frank Stapleton and the son-in-law was playing one of the Belgian defenders and uh, I think I was playing Steve Highway anyway we set up this whole situation and it was like a dance you know I said now you stand there and you anyway he tried to persuade me that the ball had hit his back and in the end it, it had got so embarrassing at that stage that I kind of just let him have it, you know, kind of yeah. have a what in his mind was a was a sort of strategic draw. Well, there's an amazing quote at the end, and you say you say there yourself, Paul. You set him up a little bit. I wanted to know if you felt in any way 
bad about going into this guy's life 20 years after this happened. I mean, the, the final quote is, uh, out in the street, he performs a little mime act by way of farewell, blowing an imaginary whistle, then proffering an invisible red card, and as the car pulls off, pointing in the direction of the road. This bizarre little man who's been left with the shock of seeing ghosts he thought were long ago laid to rest. Did you feel bad for showing him the ghosts? I didn't feel bad. I didn't feel bad. It was it was just this. More embarrassed, was, maybe. Yeah, I was embarrassed for him. I thought it was it was definitely the strangest day of my journalistic career. Like, was it? Yeah. I'd never I'd never met anybody so odd, and um and and just the way it all kind of fell into place. You know, the sort of justice of actually getting them to sit down and watch the match and to to repeatedly change his story. Um, I didn't I didn't you know I don't remember feeling any pity for him you know I, I thought I thought, just thought he was a really really odd man yeah and it's kind of like uh, your 10 year old self you know telling truth to power that's what it felt like yeah yeah <laughs> I mean like, that, that match in particular I mean if Ireland had got a draw that night they would have gone to the 1982 World Cup I mean and we, you know we talk about groups of death now this was I mean there's never been a group of death like this you know Ireland are drawn in a qualifying group with Holland who are twice World Cup finalists uh, France who uh, got won to the, the European Championship yeah, in 1984 and, for, and got to the semi-final of the 82 World Cup yeah. and Belgium who went on to beat Argentina in the opening match of the 82 World Cup and I mean, it was an incredibly difficult group um, and that was an amazingly talented Irish team probably the best team we've ever had I would think yeah um, and, you know, it does rankle with people like Frank Stapleton and Liam Brady that they never got to play uh, in a major finals. And that was as close as they came. And there was a real momentum, I think, behind that team that was really lost um, after when they failed to qualify for those finals. We beat France in Dublin 3-2. And I think the other match we drew 2-2 away to Holland, which are great results. Um, but it just wasn't enough. I think they went out on goal difference in the end. I love his re- recollection of the Irish reaction. He says that Mickey Walsh was the name of the player who I think yeah, was... Yeah, Mickey be- Walsh was playing for Oporto at yes. the time. So he was play- He had flown Portuguese. Yeah. Um, and, and apparently he said, uh, according to the quote that you that you uh, extracted from our friend Raul, Mickey Walsh at the end of the game said, Raul, I'm very sad. The hearts of all the Irish nation are crying. It's very poetic, <laughs> you know. And I suspected it wasn't true. And I, so I rang... I rang uh, uh, Mickey and I said, you know, this is what Raoul said. He said, what a liar. I called him a cheat. Um, and then Liam Brady went to, to Mickey and said, you know, what's the Portuguese word for thief? And uh, he told him and Brady went up to Raoul and said thief to his face, you know. Yeah. And Owen Hand said, you know, you've robbed us. Slightly know? less poetic then. Uh, yeah, than, yeah. Than the, I mean, there was Raul, a context to this as well, I suppose, that, that shouldn't be forgotten. You know, at that time... Um, Around that time, you know, Belt, there was the the scandal with with Anderlecht, um, who had um, bribed um, a referee to fix a match against Nottingham Forest. Mm. It was the semi final of the UEFA Cup in 1984, and Forest had won the home leg two nil, and they lost the away away leg three nil. And it was a night very very similar to this one, where there were all sorts of inexplicable decisions and it was almost it almost felt like the result had been determined beforehand and all of the decisions taken on the pitch were to contrive a particular result that had been agreed before Um, now I know that you you know you can't just sort of make a connection between the two for that reason but I think it is fair to say that Belgium were part of a sort of and, and the Italians at the time were part of this match fixing axis of evil if you like <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's, it's I hadn't actually read the piece. I'd read uh, 
articles about this article, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, but I read it. You emailed it to us a couple of days ago, and it's an, it is actually an extraordinary piece of journalism. And it actually really reminded me of one of my favourite short stories of all time is a story called Where Is Here by Joyce Carol Oates, right? And it's about a stranger who shows up at the door of a family house and knocks on the door and asks the father uh, to come inside the house uh, that he grew up in the house and he hadn't seen the house for 40 years. And the stranger comes in and basically, without doing much of anything, totally upsets the balance of the entire family. He kind of comes in and very quietly rolls a hand grenade into the middle of this seemingly idyllic family atmosphere. And it seems like he leaves shortly after, but nothing in the family will ever be the same just because of a couple of very strange remarks that he makes throughout the course of the short story. And it really struck me that the the family element to this, that it wasn't just you and Raul Nazare sitting down and having a discussion and then watching these uh, these clips on Owen Hans videotape. But it was actually the entire family atmosphere. It re- just really struck me as a really weird thing, that there was something about your visit to Rel Nazara and his family that won't be forgetting, forgotten in that family yeah. for quite a while. Do you kind of... Yeah. Know I got, no, I did get a sense of that, that, you know, we things happen in our lives and then we sort of reach an accommodation with them and you Precisely. settle on a narrative in your head and that's the narrative you live with. And then sometimes somebody from your past can come back and just sort of give the sediment a shake and and it, you don't know where you are afterwards. And that's what I felt with him. I, I, I kind of felt like he had told himself this story and this lie so often that he'd come to believe it himself. Yeah. Um, and that uh, even when a journalist rang him and said, uh, do you want to sit down and have lunch and talk about it? And then said... Do you want to go and watch the video? He didn't think there was going to be anything in that video that was going to contradict um, his account, the yeah. account he told himself for all these years. I don't suppose you recall handing the video back to Owen Hand by any chance uh, and Hand's reaction to the piece. I'm sure he was, well, I don't know, was he happy enough? Was he maybe even more? But- no, I think I think Owen, you know, that, that I mean, that match really and, and that ca- qualifying campaign was a scar on Owen Hand's career yeah. because if he'd taken Ireland to the World Cup finals and I and I think we could have done really really well at that World Cup I mean there was a lot of really poor teams at that World Cup and I think I think we would have been one of the best 10 or 11 teams at that at that World Cup um, and I think um, and I think that was really a scar on his life and the next European Championships we didn't um we didn't do too well in the qualifying group, and then the for the the qualifying group for the '86 World Cup, we really fell apart. It was that campaign where Denmark were just so much in the ascendant; they were an amazing team, um, and that was the end of it, really. And but I think I think that's why it probably rankles with Owen as much as it does because it was a real turning point in his in his life and his career. Yeah, what what uh, what Euro '88 was, we could be instead talking about. Spain 1982 and all of the yeah. heroes from Euro 88 might well have been not Jack Charlton but Owen Hand not uh, you know Ray Houghton but Liam Brady yeah I remember I remember interviewing Owen Hand in the kind of um, the early days of uh, Jack Charlton's success so it would have been probably just after Ireland qualified for for um, Euro 88 and I was sent to get a reaction from Owen Hand uh, and he said to me the king is dead long live the king about Jack Charlton and um, I didn't really know what that meant at the time, but I do now when I you know when I read about 
uh, uh, when I remember how close Ireland were to qualifying uh, to that World Cup and actually you know probably would have done really well I think at that World Cup Are you backing us to get a revenge this weekend against Belgium? I don't know I, I, I think I think there might be another draw <laughs> I have a feeling there's going to be another draw and that's just from somebody who's conditioned over the course of almost 30 years of tournaments uh, <laughs> Ireland at big major finals we we draw we seem to draw every big match 1-1 um, yeah. we, we always have one and again it's a tradition thing we always have one huge performance in us at these finals and I'm just hoping that the, the game against Sweden wasn't it Mm. that there's, there's a bigger performance there. Hopefully no refereeing scandals. Well, unless they go our way, in which case... <laughs> we never really minded those, you see. Yeah, no, you yeah, never minded those so much. You like, don't, you you don't hunt down those referees it's, and no, ask No, I never interviewed the referee who gave us that uh, uh, awful penalty decision against Georgia. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or, or, or was it Anders Frisk in 2002 who gave us... For the, Duffer's ridiculous dive yeah, against Spain. Nice penalty, and listen, yeah. swings and roundabouts. Yeah. You know, you've got to be philosophical about this nonsense. Paul Howard, yeah. brilliant to have you in. Thanks so much. Pleasure. Beefa made a movie recently. Did they? John Delaney could run anything. They did, they did, actually. About themselves? Yeah, about themselves. Oh, that's ego, isn't it? He could run FIFA. Certainly better than Sam Blatter. Yeah, that is, that's incredible ego, but the real movie's on its way. Well, yeah, I'm off to see the Queen tomorrow too, don't forget that. No, no, don't forget that. In 2009, I called him an embarrassment to FIFA and an embarrassment to himself. And I, and I said it to him across the table, just like I'm talking to you. We wanted two explosives. He said, no one speaks to me like that. And you said? And I said, what I do. And that was it. We wanted to explain it. And I just asked her to move on. It was an extraordinary moment. She, she was here, she tell you, just stared at her for seven or eight seconds. And I said, move on now, please. And then he moved. When I went in and told him how I felt about him, yeah. and there were some expletive views, we came to an agreement. It's a very good agreement, Cliff and I. And you've used a bigger there. Well done to you. Sport takes focus. Sport takes commitment. Sport takes dedication. Pretty much how we feel about savings at Rabo Direct. Rabo Direct, the straight talking savings bank. Oh, I just absolutely love that chat, Murph. I uh, loved the story when I read it all those years ago. Uh, you know, I'm not sure Raul Nazare can fully stand over the decisions he made that night. Mm. In Brussels, I think I think Paul may have punctured some of the man's uh, uh, self confidence, and uh, yeah, it is. It, it's an amazing story. It's an amazing tale, uh, and just I love that idea of, of Paul Howard rocking over to Owen Hand's house. Oh, Owen Hand finally gets his bit of yeah. revenge. But I mean, imagine how happy you'd be as Owen Hand to get a phone conversation like that, uh, or to get a to get a knock on the door like that. Say, here is my videotape of the game. I want you to. This is like the, the sort of moment of catharsis. That you've been waiting for for the last like. 20 you're also years. dredging it up for yourself though, of your own hand. No, surely own hand was straight away back onto Paul Air. What did he say? What did he say? And then to, mm. just dying to read the piece. But would that not make you even angrier? If I'm reading that, if I'm Frank Stapleton or Liam Brady or own hand or anyone involved that night, oh, you'd just be furious reading about reading about this guy's. Well, I think it may, you may you may have had some thoughts on that game, and that conversation may have solidified some of those yeah. thoughts. Well, we can get our long-awaited revenge on Belgium at this tournament anyway, Ken. And uh, to do so, we're going to have to presumably do without John Walters. We've talked enough about his absence, but what about the different permutations within the team yesterday? The media, uh, there was uh, Jeff Hendrick and Robbie Brady were talking to the media, uh, two boys who've grown up together, of course, playing for St. Kevin's Boys and all that kind of stuff. Will Robbie Brady, Brady move a little bit closer on the pitch to Jeff Hendrick for this? I'd like to think so, but I, I'm not convinced. Uh, I mean, Ireland without Walters have got a couple of options. 
we can use Brady in midfield, uh, which would mean bringing Stephen Ward into the team at left back. Um, or we can play James McLean. Now, Martin O'Neill likes James McLean. He brought him on as a substitute, obviously, in the, in the match the other day. We all saw what happened. And he talked a bit about James McLean yesterday. Martin O'Neill did as well. He, he seemed to... Uh, he, you know, a couple of the journalists who were there felt he was maybe dropping a hint. I mean, when they started asking about Walters and Martin O'Neill starts bigging up McLean, you don't know. I mean, maybe Martin O'Neill, is, maybe it's a little bit of a, a deception. Maybe he wants Vilmots to think that. I mean, yeah, I the thought, jur- uh, sorry, I was couldn't cross you there, but it just struck me that the journalists also thought Shane Duffy was going to start. So it's based on yeah. Martin and Roy saying really nice things about him in, in, in press conferences. Yeah, I mean, maybe... maybe um, Maybe he wants Vilmots to think McLean will play. I mean, I saw Lukaku the other day talking about, uh, you know, Ireland have got great uh, quality with players like Robbie Keane and Shane Long. And also James McLean can make a difference. And I wondered, I was thinking, well, <laughs> how would you randomly pick James McLean out? He must have got a kick uh, in the shins on from hand, him. It was, hmm? He must have got a kick in the shins from him. I mean, it's just yeah, a pop maybe, into his I mean, head. It, it might have been um, one of those things where... Uh, well, I think at least we can be confident that Romelu Lukaku hasn't watched too many videos of Ireland. I mean, the Belgians haven't been obsessing with their uh, with their video preparation of the team. If if Romelu Lukaku is picking up James McLean as one of our best players, um, you know, the, the Belgians have a, have a couple of decisions to make as well. Um, and apparently, oh, I I thought I, I was thinking that uh, it would probably be Divock Origi who was going to play against Ireland because Lukaku obviously. Didn't play that well, missed a great chance, got heavily criticised. Origi came on, showed a lot of really nice touches. I thought, OK, Origi may have played his way into the team to face Ireland. Apparently the Belgians all reckon it's going to be Benteke. Um, which, I mean, Benteke is a player who can score goals from time to time. But I have to say, out of those three Belgian strikers, he's definitely the one I'd most like Ireland to be up against. Um, which might sound like tempting fate a little bit. Uh, but you know, I don't. I don't really think he. I don't think he's. Quite, I mean, I think he's the kind of player that John O'Shea and Kieran Clark, uh, Clark obviously a former teammate of Benteke. I just think they'd be more actually more comfortable ultimately facing that type of player. He's a strong centre forward. He's a kind of target man, but he's not going to run them off the pitch um, in the way that Origi or Lukaku can do. So, uh, and Kevin De Bruyne apparently coming in centrally is the other thing that the Belgians think might uh, happen. I mean, it didn't make much sense against Italy uh, that Marrow and Fellaini, in a team that has all of these footballers, you know, Hazard and, and De Bruyne and, and whatnot, that Marrow and Fellaini is like the, the, you know, the spider at the centre of the web. Uh, you know, every, everything has to go through Fellaini. Uh, that just didn't make much sense to me at all. It was what Mark Vilmots went for, but we can't be sure that he's going to go for it again against Ireland. What a day today. England-Wales, 2 o'clock. Ukraine, Northern Ireland at 5, and Germany against Poland at 8. I'm looking forward to this. I hope Northern Ireland put in a performance this time, though. They they all, they all were, were quite self-flagellating after the game the other day. The quite, Kyle Lafferty interview, I don't Kyle know if Lafferty, you saw that on yeah. BBC. I don't know if you've seen this, Ken, but... Uh, yeah, like he was basically saying that he had disgraced the shirt and all of his teammates had disgraced the shirt and we need to, you know, we, we must put this right. I mean... Uh, get up out of that. Yeah. Get up out of that, Lafferty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here uh, with a lot of people. Yeah, yeah well, the, we yeah. know he'll be there. Yeah, there will be a lot of people there as well today. <laughs> um, well, Lafferty, 
uh, I think he was he's isolated. <clears throat> I mean, the the Northern Ireland formation, as as UEFA had it, uh, as UEFA laid it out, was was hilarious. I've never seen a, a diagram like it on, on a, you know a, on one of these one of these documents. It was like um, just. <laughs> You know, uh, the goalkeeper, obviously, the back four. And then in front of the two fullbacks, like what appeared to be another two fullbacks, and then three defensive midfielders in front of that, and then way up top, Lafferty. Just like <laughs> How do they come this... up with these formations? I never understand it. Do they? A manager probably doesn't want anyone to know his exact formation anyway. So it's just the team sheet arrives to UEFA and somebody in there decides how it's going to look? Uh, I guess so. I don't, I don't know. I mean, oftentimes they're... they're uh, their impression of what's what's going on is reasonably accurate, actually. Sure, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't I don't know exactly whose whose job it is. All right, uh, predictions then for today's game. Might as well push you on Wales on all three actually. Can while you're there, what do you think's going to happen uh, in these games? I would say that I'm going to go for Wales to <laughs> do the business. Okay, I'm looking forward to the reaction to that one in the English media. I think Ukraine will beat Northern Ireland. All right, Germany, Poland, and ooh. familiar familiar foes. Come on, Poland! I think Poland. Poland to do it. Hey. Is this, is this going to be the moment for Poland? Ah, uh, probably not. Probably <laughs> Germany. Probably Germany to win that one. But uh, you know, Poland did beat them in qualifying. Um, it's obviously a huge game. It's the biggest game that Poland can play, and I think Poland have a pretty decent side. Um, I really think they do. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, Germany, who were Germany playing? God, I got, oh, Ukraine. They weren't good. I mean, I, I was watching that game. They were, you know, was, I, I, there's there's something a bit incoherent about the German team. You know, they've got a lot of good players, but they don't, you know, they don't really have a striker. They're lacking, I think, a little bit of structure. Um, they're always going to be dangerous with, with set pieces and so on. You've got someone like Tony Kroos delivering the ball. But I'm not that impressed with them. You know, I could I could easily imagine Poland beating them. Germany obviously will probably win, but I wouldn't be amazed if Poland were to win that. I mean, it Hang on, on you've given us th- three or four different... Uh, what are the odds, Owen? What are the odds? I've literally just destroyed the eardrums of all our listeners, Ken, by reacting so loudly to your crazed... out the window there, Owen. <laughs> <laughs> like crazed, crazed r- rambling. Yeah, well, no, uh, just, just, just you've started with Poland, you've gone to Germany, you're back to Poland. Who's going to win the game? Well, I'll tell you what the odds are. Poland... 31 to 5. What is that? It's like 6 to 1. According to this, Poland are less likely to beat Germany than like Wales are to be. In fact, all the matches have basically the same odds. Wales, Northern Ireland and Poland are all sort of 6 to 1 underdogs. Now, in Northern Ireland's case, that might that may be warranted, particularly if they're gonna, all going to you know lie in their uh, goal mouths and cry. But um, Wales and Poland... Uh, to be honest, I think uh, both have a much better chance than that. Ken, you've got a high-speed train to catch, and we know how much you love those high-speed trains, so we better say goodbye. Brilliant, Owen. I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> train uh, whizzing up to uh, whizzing up to Lance, England against Wales. Goodbye, Ken. See you, Ken. Sure. Goodbye, Murph. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Ken. Thanks for listening. Bye, bye, bye. Thank you. See you tomorrow. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.